You know, the word love is both overvalued and undervalued in our culture. It's undervalued because the things that we're supposed to truly love go unloved, or at best, they go unappreciated. The Bible teaches us that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our strength, and with all our soul. Yet often, God is the last one in our culture behind people's desires or their lusts or behind their passions, or their hobbies, or their preferences to even be loved. The Bible also teaches us that we're to love our neighbor as ourself. And again, this is another form of undervalued love in our society, because many times the hardest people in our lives to love are that neighbor, that one who irritates us to no end, that neighbor who trespasses on our land, that the one who has no regard for anyone else but themselves, that neighbor who's so belligerent, who's obnoxious, who's self-centered, and they're just plain rude and crude. I can't even talk to them when you're around them. It's just so irritating. So yes, love is tremendously undervalued in our culture. But I also must admit that it's overvalued as well because people love all kinds of lesser things than God or lesser things than their neighbors. They love things like food or certain foods. They love uh, hobbies or they love sports or they love their favorite sports team or they love certain beverages or they love their possessions. Now, we, we have really good water at our home. In fact, multiple family members, including some of our children, uh, and, and one of my nephews comes over every week to draw water. Uh, they bring big five-gallon water jugs so that at their homes, they can have good drinking water. And uh, we, uh, they fill those jugs up. We, sometimes we don't even know they're there, or sometimes we hear the, the spigot running outside, and we're like, oh, they're here to get water. We have never had any kind of water treatment in our home or our well, other than the initial treatment when the well was drilled 30 years ago to take care of bacteria then. We have no water purifiers, no water softeners. Our fixtures never get stained, nor do they experience any kind of mineral deposits or buildups. We have the exact same water heater in our home that we had over 30 years ago when we built our house. Now, we don't have a lot of water in our well because its recovery rate is only two and a half gallons per minute, and it's a deep well. 210 feet deep and the total reserve because it comes 18 foot from the top and then what we have in the tank and the lines plus the recovery rate the total is about 500 gallons if we ran 500 gallons straight we would run our well out of water so we are judicious in the use of our water but our water comes from the rock they drilled into the rock and they hadn't found much water so they did some hydrofracking to open up some of the cracks in the rock so you'd get a little bit more water that would trickle in and our water is good it's refreshing when you get water from the rock you get really good tasting water we love the water at our home now every single day I bring a thermos bottle with ice in it because I like to keep the pipes cool so I always drink ice water every day plus I bring a canister of water like this every day from home when I'm here at work uh, at church because it's so refreshing but you know to say I love you, water. That kind of sounds crazy, doesn't it? You know? Uh, and even though we do love our water, uh, we probably should be saying that we really appreciate the good water we have because we're, you know, yes, it's a staple of life. Yes, it's important. But are we overvaluing it in that sense? With this in mind, let me ask you, do you love Christmas? 
Do you love this wonderful time of year with all the decorations, all the lights, with Bentleyville? You know, there's few light displays in this country that can compare to Bentleyville that we have right over here in our backyard. In fact, people who live in New York with all the plazas and, and Times Square and everything that goes on there, they say it doesn't compare to the lights that you see at Bentleyville. And who doesn't like all the freshly baked goodies and the Christmas foods and the celebrations and the concerts and all the music and all oh, the church services and the like? There's so much to love about Christmas. And I believe that God wants us to love this sacred holiday, but perhaps for different reasons than we do. I think God wants us to love Christmas because Christmas is all about Christ. It's Christmas. It's not food miss. It's not cookie miss. It's not decoration miss. It's not Bentleyville miss. It's not Santa miss. It's not family mass. It's not holiday mass or Christmas programs mass. It's not even church mass. It's Christmas. The anointed one, Christ, is what Christmas is all about. And hence, you really can't even, as the saying goes, spell Christmas without its first six letters, can you? You can't spell it without Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. So yes, we should love Christmas because Christmas is all about Christ. Now, one of the reasons I love Christmas is because of Christmas, I have a Savior. And again, Matthew 1, let me read verses 18 through 21. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Joseph, in this account, is the betrothed husband of Mary. They, that means that they were pledged to be husband and wife for as long as they both would live. But up to this point, they hadn't solemnized. They had not consummated their relationship. And often during this, you know, serious engagement courtship period, the husband would be off readying the home for his wife and for his family to be able to live in. And many times it would be an addition to the parents' house. They would be adding on to the house where they would live. Or it would be a property that the parents would own and something adjacent to where the parents were. And this would be a straightforward task for someone like Joseph because he was a carpenter. He may work in his shop during the day, but in the after hours or the extra hours or part of that day, he'd be working on the house as well. So this couple was all in. They're fully committed. They're full steam ahead. They're ready to finalize their marriage. When Joseph discovers that Mary is pregnant out of wedlock, and he knows he's not the responsible party, and he also is not the only one in all likelihood who has discovered this either. What a dilemma. He obviously cares deeply for Mary. He has already invested a lot in her, 
but his hopes and his dreams of a life together with her have just been shattered by her supposed unfaithfulness to him and her supposed unfaithfulness to God. So Joseph, though culturally, through, you know, Joseph culturally, he could do this as well as because he was a devout follower of the law, he could publicly shame her. But he chooses not to do that. Instead, he privately, quietly, no fanfare, he just simply wants to issue Mary a certificate of divorce, and then they both can go their own separate ways. Though I must say that this would really be difficult in a small village of 300 like Nazareth, where everyone would know anyway. But Joseph chose not to add any additional shame to Mary's predicament. And it was then that God amazingly appeared to Joseph via this dream with an angel to inform him that this miraculous child in her womb was conceived by the Holy Spirit, a son whom you as father, Joseph, are the one who is going to name. And you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. In the original language of the New Testament, the Koine Greek language, that's the word Iesus. And in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew language of the Old Testament, it would be the word Yeshua. It's where we get the word Joshua from, means savior or deliverer. And in ancient Israel's history, prior to Christ, the promised land had been occupied by multiple foreign uh, uh, powers over the years. In fact, for almost eight centuries, the promised land or parts of the promised land had been occupied by all of these foreign countries. In fact, by the time Jesus was here, the Romans were the sixth major country to control the nation of Israel. And Israel's landmass wasn't even the same as it was at the time of King David. And the languages were also different as Aramaic and uh, Greek were the common vernacular of the day. In fact, many Jewish people didn't even know their native language Hebrew anymore, so they couldn't read the sacred Old Testament scrolls or understand them when they were opened and read in the temple or in the synagogue or at their religious festivals or when they would travel to and from Jerusalem for the various festivals and they would sing the salo, they'd sing the psalms. They couldn't even understand those Hebrew words. So the religious leaders of Israel, merely years before Christ, came up with an authorized translation of the Old Testament into the common Greek language of its people of the day. And it was called the Septuagint because that's, uh, that means 70, L-X-X in Roman numerals. It means 70 because this amazing um, translation team of scribes and rabbis, they completed this translation in 70 days. Now the problem, however, with it surfaced when Jesus was born. And then Jesus lived in the promised land because the Septuagint translated Yeshua, the Messiah, the Savior and Deliverer. How did they translate it into the Greek language? E-A-Sus. Uh, and, and so the Old Testament so clearly pointed to Jesus being the Messiah that the very authors who had amazingly created this translation actually rejected it because it so clearly pointed to Jesus as the one who would save their people from their sins. Do you love Christmas? I do, because Christmas is about Christ, the one who came to save us from our sins. And believe me, I need a Savior, because I'm a fallen, sinful human being. How about you? Do you need a Savior? The Bible teaches us that it's appointed once for all of us to die. We're all going to die. And the Bible says, then comes judgment. In other words, then comes the accounting for our 
personal sin. We bear responsibility for our own sin. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That means, yes, physical death, but it also means that we will experience eternal separation from God. So we, in and of ourselves, have no defense in a time like that. We could deny our sin, but that doesn't take it away. That would get us nowhere. We could try to pay the penalty for our own sin, try to do something good, but we can't do that because we're already dead. That's, that's gone. And we couldn't pay the penalty anyway. It would be fruitless. We could plead for mercy, but it's too late for that. This is why we need Jesus. Jesus the Savior. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every human being who's ever walked on the face of this planet has sinned, has missed God's perfect ideal standard. Doesn't matter how good or not we, we've ever been. Everybody has missed the mark. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And it tells us in Romans chapter 5 verse 8 that God knew that anyway. And he knew all about that. He knows all about our sin. But God demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's why Christ came, to save his people from their sins. Because yes, as Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. That's physical death. That's eternal separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Is Jesus your Savior? Have you acknowledged your sin to him? That means confessing your sin to God, admitting it, agreeing with God. That's what confession is. It's agreeing with God about our sin because God already knows all about that about us anyway. Have you accepted Jesus as the Savior and the Lord of your life? Are you allowing Jesus to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life? There's no decision in your life that is more important than this faith decision. See, Christmas is about Christ. Do you love Christmas because you have a Savior, Jesus? I hope and pray so because that's the hope of Christmas. Because the other important thing for us to understand too about Christmas today and this glorious faith decision uh, to trust Christ as Savior and Lord of our lives is that when we start following Christ, the Bible says we now have Emmanuel. We have God with us. Look at verses 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I love Christmas because God is with me. Christ is present in my life because of Christmas. And of course, Jesus came to this earth, was born, lived here for 33 years, died on the cross, went down to the grave, rose from the dead on the third day, 40th day he ascended to heaven, and he sits at the right hand of God the Father. I love Christmas because this God who did all that is with me, and he's present in my life every single day. And yes, it is nice to get wonderful, thoughtful presents from people this time of year. And I've received many over the years. And, and I have to tell you, just these past five months, I have received some very thoughtful gifts from people. One gift I received was from a person in our church who gave me a high-end turkey call, both box and slate calls, as well as made for me a turkey decoy. And I just took up turkey hunting three years ago. So I'm really new to the sport. But when I received these gifts, I was totally shocked. I got a lump in my throat uh, when I thought about the expense of them, when I thought about the work and the time and the thoughtfulness that went into the, such a gift. I also received another gift from some people that I'd helped out these past six months. And they bought me a dozen 
arrows, but I shoot these top-of-the-line high-end arrows spined perfectly for my bow. And I'm not going to tell you how expensive those arrows are, but my son Nathan, who's into bow hunting too, didn't even get any of these arrows till just a couple months ago. And that's because he did some videoing and stuff for an arrow manufacturer, a company, uh, someone who does this business of getting arrows set up for people. So they sent him a dozen arrows in lieu of doing that work for him. They're high-end arrows. And again, I was absolutely overwhelmed by their thoughtfulness and the appreciation for the help that I'd given them. And then just the last couple of days, in our family, we are celebrating Christmas this Thanksgiving weekend on the Nelson side of the family because all of our children are going to their in-laws for Christmas time. So we spent Thanksgiving together on Thursday, all eight grandchildren were at our house, and then Friday, uh, and it spilled into Saturday morning, we did Christmas, opening the gifts and celebrating Christmas, so we had three days of feasting. I, you know, they say you gain six pounds over the holidays, you know, one holiday, Uh, When you combine them together, I probably did 10 or 12 then. But we had a great time together and exchanging gifts and loving each other and seeing the kids and and all that enthusiasm, excitement. It was so wonderful. But my brother-in-law gave me some really thoughtful gifts. He, He gave me some essential oils that we use in our sauna. And you always know if it's real, true stuff because it doesn't freeze when it gets cold out. And so he buys me a certain, uh, you know, uh, eucalyptus as well as Siberian fur that we use in the sauna. It just gives you such wonderful smell and opens up your sinuses and really enjoy that gift. But he bought me something else that just floored me. And this is called Gas One. And, you know, I use those little green propane uh, cylinders for my cook stove for camping. I, I, use it, uh, I use it for uh, boiling my deer antlers when I get a nice buck and I, I want to clean the skull off. I use it for that. Uh, I have pro, uh, torches in my garage that I use sometimes with those small cylinders. My buddy heaters that I use in some of my deer stands or, or uh, ice fishing and that sort of thing. But you know, you're buying those little canisters all the time because they run out. Well, this one gas you can put on a 25-pound propane cylinder. You have the gas shut off. Then you thread in the other tank, you open it up and fill your tank. And what a money savings, what a thoughtful gift. I I would have never thought, I didn't even know something like that existed where I can actually save some money and do that and someone thought ahead of the things I enjoy doing and bought that for me. But as good as all these amazing gifts I have received uh, this last year, uh, nothing compares to the presence of Christ in my life every single day. Nothing compares to the gift of Jesus. You know, the perpetual presence of Christ in my life has been life-changing. I come from a long line of God-hating folk. Generational alcoholism. Church-hating folk. Uh, In fact, they make fun of people who go to church. There have been generations in my family of womanizers, of gambling addicts, and frankly, there's no other way to say this, but financial idiots who just cannot manage money. I come from hard-working, hard-living, hard-drinking, self-sufficient stock. And boy, is my family a pride-filled, stubborn lot. So to be standing before you this morning from a non-Christian, non-church family background, to be one of your pastors, that is the perpetual presence of Christ in my life. It's that life-changing. It's all about Emmanuel. See, God is always near us. God is always for us. God is always 
in us. And God is always working on our behalf. And yes, we can tend to forget God. But you know what tells us in the book of Hebrews? That God will never leave us. God will never forsake us. This is Emmanuel. He won't do that to us. And Emmanuel doesn't just mean that God made us or that God thinks about us from time to time or even that God is above us. It means that God is with us wherever we are. If you're at work, God is with you. If you're at home, God is with us. When we drive or fly somewhere, God is with us. When we winter in Florida like some of our folks do, God is with us. When we're here at church, God is with us. In the tense situations in life, God is with us. In the good times, God is with us. In those bad seasons of life, God is with us. Even in the shadow of death, God is with us. Wherever we are, God is with us. And I really believe that we all need this message right now because we are living in some real anxious times. A horrific war in Eastern Europe is going on with the displacement of nearly 10 million people. That's the largest displacement of people in Europe since World War II. And worldwide, there's 100 million displaced people because of all the crises and disasters and and things that are happening around the world. And some of those people are finding their way to our southern border and to our country. And then there are tensions in the Middle East. And we have nuclear proliferation that's going on around the world right now. And we have instability and amoral leadership that's happening within the halls of our nations and our state's governments. And then there are cultural tensions that divide people along political, racial, sexual, educational, and economic lines. People are living in fear, wondering where this inflation, and frankly, calling it what it is, this recession that we're going through, is going to take us. Not to mention having to deal with that boss, or that neighbor, or that church member that you just cannot seem to please. Or there's that deep concern about your recent health diagnosis and the treatments that you're going to be taking. Or this current job, is this job that I have even going to last? People are harboring a lot of fear right now in their lives, which is why we need Christmas. Christmas is all about Christ, the one who came to save us from our sins and then to take us uh, in a, uh, to, to live with us in a lifelong, life-changing relationship. God gets us because God is Emmanuel, God with us. Now, next week, we're going to talk more in-depthly about the incarnation, but I trust that you will love Christmas because Christmas is all about Christ. And on account of Christmas, we have a Savior and we have a God who's with us. Would you please pray with me? God, our Father, we thank you uh, that you came in a humble, uh, almost unbelievable way, God, born in a stable, uh, placed in a manger, but you came, God, to reveal your great love for us, and yet while, yes, we're sinners, you came for us because you love us. And God, this is truly love revealed. And I pray as we go through this holiday season that we don't get caught up in loving all the wrong things, but that we would love Christmas because it's all about you, Jesus. It's all about Christ, the Messiah, who came to set us free from our sins. And it's all about you being present with us each and every day of our lives and how you change our lives 
radically. Uh, so we can be completely different people than we would be destined to be apart from you. So God, I pray for anybody here, if they don't know you as Savior and Lord of their life, that they would receive the gift of Christmas this year. Anybody listening online, uh, God, I know you're speaking by your Holy Spirit to many people this morning. I pray that today would be the day that they would say, yes, I, I admit I'm a sinner. I don't want to go into that judgment day uh, on my own. Uh, uh, and try to defend myself for my sin. I'm responsible for it. And God, thank you that you sent Jesus to save me for my sins. And I want to live in you. Oh, I pray, God, that people would make that faith decision today. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.